0: But they have four children, and Ashley's expecting her fifth in October. And May, uh, she's delivered all of her kids two weeks early and some two and a half. I think two kids uh, two weeks early and two kids two and a half weeks early. So the odds are the baby will be born maybe around the end of September, third week of September, something like that. Uh, Thank you, Daniel. Let there be light. And... um, I appreciate that, buddy. Um, can you see me now? <laughs> Anyhow, thank you for praying for us. If you did, I appreciate that. It was just a, 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 I would say a good break, but I really, and it was, but I really enjoyed, we, we had a busy time, but I just enjoyed uh, uh, eating out and just spending time and laughing and watching uh Paula taking the kids aside and say, hey, uh, Poppy and Nana want to buy you something. And she did that on an individual basis and uh, speaking. And I did that with the kids, you know, the grandfatherly thing. I guess I got a little pastor uh, in me. Did I tell you to turn to Luke 22? Turn to Luke chapter 22. And after you locate that, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Go ahead and get ready Luke 22 and then Galatians 6 uh, and I would just uh, speak hope into their life and uh, some things that I'm praying for them about um, it was just good it was really good when we uh, <clears throat> in fact um, Paula and I were by ourselves for a couple of days and uh, we enjoyed that but when we uh We, of course, most of you know we have uh, four boys and, and three girls. And uh, a value uh, in my life was, uh, was to make memories with our kids. And that's not always vacations. But even when our budgets were tight, we did what we could. And, and sometimes we weren't able to go uh, to vacate, you know, and leave the city but we wanted to make memories. I, I put it that way. And if we could get out, we would do that. And so rather than, uh, you know, do big projects at home and so forth, uh, we decided to do that. And so uh, it's it's a wonderful thing in my heart to see that, that that priority has been passed on to our kids. Or they want to do that with their, their children and their spouses. And I, I'm I'm glad to see my... Uh, parents did that with us. I remember my father uh, was taking a group of boys to Boys State. Some of you will remember that. And I think I was a ninth grader, 10th grader, something like that. And Boys State that year was at Jacksonville State University, not far from here. And uh, of course, dad had a bus business. And so here mom is probably mom had the idea and dad said yeah we can do that Uh, so we dropped the guys off on dad's charter bus and they're at uh paul i think it's paul snow stadium or something like that uh there where football field is and that took you know an hour hour and a half and then we went down to gulf shores uh, as a family we went on vacation on a bus (laughs) a big you know greyhound wasn't a greyhound but you get the picture now me melanie hoss mom and dad and my cousin donnie six of us and i know people thought look at that wealthy family uh, man it was a bunch of hillbilly i tell you what uh, more like yeah, you know, jed clampett and his family but we had said it was wonderful just wonderful and so many other things but my heart is full today I would like for you to pray for Bruce Fry and his family. While we were away, Bruce texted me, and his father passed away this past Wednesday. Uh, we've been praying for his daddy for a long time. Bruce won his father to Christ uh, maybe three years ago, something like that. And they haven't had the uh, service. They're going to have a graveside service. They're trying to work through some things with the, uh, to have a... a, a honor gardens and so forth so pray for uh bruce and his brother sammy and his other brother dale they have three boys and and their families if you would and let me say one other thing then we'll get in the bible um about this conference uh this is not just happenstance i've been wanting to do this for for a while and uh um, and then i i really became burdened about it Uh, In recent months, I I want you to come. I I want it to be a priority to you, not because it's my priority, but because you love your children and your grandchildren. And Sam, I mean, I I can preach on on this stuff, but not like Sam's going to be able to. He has done extensive research. And so there'll be four sessions. Uh, We will give uh, an 18 page syllabus. It's not a fill-in-the-blank thing because we want you to listen. And uh, so it's not like you're going to be filling in notes. It's, gonna, it's supplemental material. And we can only give one per family. Did I say that? It'll be one per family. Um, and uh, to kind of help fill in all the other gaps that he's not able to cover. So it will help you to be a more effective witness, to be able to stand alone. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. The Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. And what's interesting there in that verb, it's past tense. He purposed in his heart. He had already purposed. It's a great text on convictions. A conviction is not something you'll die for. Now, you may die for your convictions, but that's not the definition of a conviction. Uh, if, if that's your definition, then you don't have any because you're not dead, you're living. It's really, I don't want to say it's silly, I shouldn't say that, but it's, it's a terrible definition. Uh, a conviction is something you'll die for. Well, you don't have any because you're still here. Uh, a conviction is something that is based on the Bible, that is consistently seen in your life. That's what a conviction is. And You see, you don't hold a conviction, it holds you. And it's consistently seen in your life. Well, where did Daniel in a foreign land? He was away from, his, away from his family, away from his spiritual influences. Where did he get that conviction? He got it from his parents. He got it from his spiritual mentors, spiritual influencers. And he purposed in his heart before he ever got in a hostile environment that he would not defile himself by breaking the laws, the Jewish dietary laws. Now, that translates in other ways for us. And you need to understand what the Bible teaches about this issue. Of course, some of it is just real common sense. But, um, and then we need to know how to engage the culture. Because, listen, it's not just your kids in school. By the way, they're, it's in kindergarten. Do you understand this? It's in graduate schools. It goes all the way up. It's in nursing school and and if it's not already it will be and i think it is already it's going to be in your job some of you will 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 be losing your job over potentially it's in the air force academy it's it's in our academies it's in west point it's incredible it's just taken over uh, our nation so god have mercy on us but we don't want to this is not a ranting and raving thing uh, us against them it's okay this is what the bible teaches so so now what now what are we going to do we want to know what we believe so how do we engage lost people with this we we believe the truth we're going to hold forth the truth but how do how do we do this as christians so i want you to come and i like what daniel said uh, bring some people that may be interested in this and uh, we, we want to be a good host, and um, it may involve a sacrifice of time, but it would be well worth your time and make a difference in your life and your families. So enough enough about that, okay? Um, we'll look in the Word of God here in, in just a moment. I love to read biographies. Um, there's one biography that I have not read yet uh, about William Booth. Uh, I've got a biography. I have a stack of them. I'm reading one on Albert Einstein right now, and then I've got another on Abraham Lincoln, one on Benjamin Franklin by my bed. Uh, some of these I've read in other places, but not these. And then uh, one on William, on William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Now, this is when the Salvation Army uh, really, and I'm not saying they don't do this in other places, but it was more than just a kind of a social thing to... To meet the need, the physical needs of people, but they were really after the soul. Uh, William Booth was a great man. He was an evangelist, but he was a very compassionate man, and uh, he built these these uh, ministries in in London. And he was very effective at reaching the the lower rung of society. Now I say that so you'll understand it. We don't look down. James two talks about that. We don't look down on anybody. Uh, we're all the same. We're all made of flesh. Uh, nobody's better than than anybody else. And so, there was something about him that made him attractive to drunkards and addicts and uh, people that were poor and 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 prostitutes that that they felt comfortable with him. And they were they if if you're going to be offended, be offended by the gospel. The gospel is offensive. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. But we're not to be offensive. You know, um, in, in your convictions, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked about Daniel a while ago. When Daniel was asked to violate his conscience and asked to violate his convic- convictions in, in uh, Daniel chapter 1, he purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. And just a few verses later, he went to his authority and I'll tell you what he did do. He'd say, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not doing that. No, he didn't do that. He requested. And what he did, he came, and he came up with an alternative that met the goal of his authorities. Because they were pagans. They don't understand a Christian mindset. They don't have a Christian worldview. Now, some people are trying to get you to, to violate your conscience. I understand that. But some people aren't. They just don't understand. And so sometimes we get all, our feathers all ruffled. And i tell you one thing. And, and they look at us like, what are, what are you talking about? Because they were educated. They're just lost. Lost people are not our enemies. They're victims. And they're blind. And you're never going to win them by, by by treating them like that. So, you know there's a way there's a way to to maintain your convictions and hold those convictions and not conform to the world but you're never going to win people to Christ by looking at people and say you're not going to get me to do that now there's a time to stand alone and that's one of the things that I'm going to bring a message on that it's been a long time since I've preached on that out of Daniel 1 and Daniel chapter three so here's what he did here's what back to William booth Uh, Here's how he he was attractive to these people. He had a plan. He called them the three S's. The three S's. And the S's were soup, soap, and salvation. Now, today, most of the Salvation Army, perhaps all of it, I I don't know. I want to be honest. I'm just not sure. They're really big on the soup and the soap, on the social needs. But he he met their physical needs to have an opportunity to be able to minister to their soul. I remember early on when I uh, was first called to preach, uh, which was August the 18th, 1977. So, you know, that's coming up here in a week or so to celebrate that anniversary a long time ago. And so you said, well, what did you do? How did you go about promoting yourself so you could have places to preach? Well, we didn't have Facebook then. And I've never asked anybody uh, to preach. Uh, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, uh, Let another man praise thee not thine own lips. Now, it's it's applicable in this. But... Um, you're not praising yourself, but when you say, "Hey, I'm really good," or "I'd like to do that," I didn't do that, and I, I think sometimes we tell what we didn't do, set ourselves up. I'm just telling you, especially young men today, um, they don't understand. Uh, your, your time will come; you'll get an opportunity. So I went down to the rescue mission. Man, they were starving. Just to have people to preach there. You say, "Well, how much did they pay you?" Nothing. And so early on, I'd go down there and play the piano. My friends would preach. And i just play the piano. Well, i say just. No, no, just about it, helping them. And then I preached my first sermon down there shortly, the week after I surrendered to preach, August the 18th. I still have the outline, and, uh, and five, five people were saved, a man named Reggie, and a, a, a man that was... Uh, an alcoholic, a drunkard, and sat down in the front row and other men that had prayed. But I gave Reggie a lot of time. And and these men, uh, they feed their bodies so they can hear the gospel. Yeah, a lot of them sleep. I remember we were there one time uh, with Mike Stollard. You remember him, uh, Mike? And are y'all related, both named Mike? I didn't know it was Mike Stollard. Two brothers, yeah, Mike and Mike. I know the last name's different, but maybe there's a connection there. And so uh, Mike was preaching, and he was talking about the deity of Christ. And this old boy in the back, he stood up, and he said, he stood up. He said, I don't believe that. And never had that happen in service, have you? And we we had something similar here. We did have it on Wednesday night. We had something similar. I won't go into it here. And so um, anyhow, I'd played piano then, and I was listening to see how Mike was going to handle it. But some strange things happened in those places. That's where I I got my feet wet preaching. And I told the guy, I said, well, you know, if you have a schedule, just put me on the schedule. Just call me, and I'll be here. And, you know, when, when you're available, God, uh, who was Bob Jones Sr., said the greatest ability is availability. Just make yourself available. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing where people want a platform, but, but they, don't want, um, they don't want the rescue missions. And man, that's, that's a sweet place to be. And, and so William Booth took that approach. He, he just met the needs of people. Thousands of people were saved. But here's why they were saved. Now stay with me. This is where I'm driving at. Because of his compassion. They were saved because of the gospel. But what carried the gospel was the heart of this man. That was part of the message. Second Corinthians 3 talks about that. Now, I don't like this statement. You've heard this before that um, preach... The, I'm going to say it wrong, okay? But here, here's a statement, something like this. Always preach the gospel and if, necess, and if necessary, use words. Some of you have heard that, something like that. Well, that's ridiculous. You can't give the gospel without using words. But the gospel affects your life, and you become a gospel carrier, and you become a transformed life. In that sense, here's a a true statement. Your life is, is the only Bible some people read, and you represent Christianity. So when they see you, You're giving them a a really good or a really bad picture of who Jesus is. You ever meet somebody and you say, Hey, I'd like for you to come to church. You think you need a duck or pucker, they're going to hit you. You say, Well, what happened? They're angry. Here's what happened. 99 times out of 100, um, it was either a family issue, and it wasn't that they went to church all the time, someone in their family was harsh. Or they got offended at church, and I always just apologize to them. I say, I, "I am so sorry. Would you would you let me apologize to you for for whatever happened at your church?" And I don't I don't even try to give them the gospel then, because then they think it's kind of like bait and switch. Oh, you didn't mean that. You're just doing that now so you can talk. Now, if they, sometimes I will if they if they change and say, "Well, yeah, I'll talk to you." But maybe the door will be open for some other people. Nobody's ever apologized to them. And you need to do it sincerely. And I'm sincere about it. I'm really sorry. You know, everybody's not like that. But I've had it happen to me. I know how it feels. There's a man named George W. Truitt. He pastored 47 years in the same church, uh, the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Um, And that's where W.A. Criswell was. And then he pastored for over 50 years. The same church had pastored two pastors for over 100 years. Isn't that remarkable? My mom, my, mom uh, my aunt lived in Dallas, and she was so wise where she took us to special places like that, whether it was landmarks in America, but she, she would take us to, to significant spiritual places. And she said, I've always wanted to go to this church. And she talked about W.A. W. Chriswell and, and talked about a message that he preached on New Year's Eve that lasted like eight hours. Now, they broke it up. So, I believe you could do that, Rick, not break it up. I know. But but anyhow, they broke it up, and it was called The Scarlet Thread. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. And then they put it in a book. You may still order it online. And... Uh, And she bought that book, and it was a little red, really nice book. And it sat on our end table. And when I was a boy, I read that book often, not just because I was a reader, but because my mom made a big deal about it and talked to me about how it was written. And I wonder sometimes if our kids will be readers, not just if we read, but we told them about the background of books and why... That book was written and we kind of salted the oats some. But anyhow, George Truitt, by the way, I didn't know this until I read about him a little bit this week. Truitt Cathy, that found a Chick-fil-A, was named after George Truitt. George Truitt, when he was pastoring, he was one of the greatest preachers in America. And I'm going to buy his biography. I didn't know he had one until I did some research on him. But here's, here's where I'm going with this. I did, I, I did know this. He was out hunting with his best friend, his very best friend. And he accidentally, of course, accidentally shot his best friend in a hunting accident. And he killed him. And it devastated him. Years later, his daughter, in the helping of writing some articles about his father, here's what she said. She said, I never heard my father laugh again after that day. Now, I've heard that before. I've heard it said about him, but I didn't know it was his daughter that said that. Now, that gives that more credence because she spent time with him. Now, I'm not saying that's healthy, but that happened to him. Don't you listen? I, I talked about him this morning. My best friend died when he was 22, and I was 21. I've never gotten over it. And I wanted, i have had the privilege to win him to Christ, but it wasn't—he was killed in a car wreck by a drunkard. And I can understand that, and I have laughed since then, but but I've wept too. But here, here's a man that had a compassion. But co- listen, listen carefully. Compassion is costly. It's expensive when you see someone that has compassion It's not just, well, they were just born that way. Oh, no. Oh, no. Some things happened. And they had a correct response. And some experiences that, that cultivated in their life. And so this man knew what it was to carry a burden. And he had a radio program. And every day, Monday through Friday, he closed his radio program with the same statement. Be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time. Now remember, be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time. For about two years, we had a radio program here at our church, and I, I put it on a, on a rock station, um, kind of an oldie goldies rock station, and. I didn't want to put it where we were just kind of on the runway with other Christian. I wanted people that would hear. It was thirty minutes and man they gave us a, a great line, uh great, great uh price for it. And so uh it, it was just a lot of fun too, but it was very effective. We would have people call and ask for tapes and notes and stuff, and uh it was just it was just effective. And every day Every Sunday, not every day, every Sunday, I would close with that line George W. Truett. Now remember, be kind to everybody you meet because everybody's having a tough time. That's how I closed it. And I got that from George W. Truett. Now you've heard me say many, many, many times, scores, maybe a thousand times, that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Your children don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Pastors, your people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, especially after they've been there for a while. And that's especially true for leaders. Now, that's not just a clever statement. It's a true statement, but it's rooted in biblical precedent. Now, I want you to look in your Bible in, in Luke 22 and verse 23. And the background here is when Jesus was at the Last Supper. This is about 12 hours, maybe approximately, before he was crucified. And uh, it gives us a hint about his heart. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 23, look at this. And they began to inquire that they, or the 12 disciples, inquire. Among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing? Now, if you read the verses before, what were they inquiring about? Asking, each what is this thing? Who was going to betray Jesus? He said, one of you is going to betray me. Of course, that was Judas. Nobody expected Judas. Judas was a treasure. He was a nice guy. He was a gifted man. And they began to ask among themselves. Now, this is incredible. Verse 24, this is right before he was about to go to the cross. And there was also a strife among them. Then the inquiring, the questioning, degenerating into a strife. Now the word strife there means a quarrel, a heated argument. It means a contention. You know what a contention is? It's an assertion to prove a point. Now what were they trying to prove a point on? Well, here it is. There was a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. The word accounted has the idea of, of to prove your reputation. Well, it can't be me because uh, Peter, James, and John, we're in the inner circle. It's not us. And, well, I've done this for Jesus. It can't be me. And they're all trying to get in line, not just about it can't be me that's got to betray. Jesus, but were the greatest. In fact, on the way there, not just in the in the room. I remember when I went to Israel and they took us to this place where it supposedly happened. And I don't know that it was in that room, but it was in, certainly in that vicinity. But on the way there, from, from there to the garden, they continued the argument. Jews had already left and they still didn't get it. In Jesus, verse 25, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles, or the pagans, exercise lordship or leadership or authority over them. So, so here's how leaders in the world think. Uh, they, they're concerned with, with uh, well, what's the platform? What's my visibility? Well, I, I don't want to go to the, the rescue mission. Uh, how, how much visibility am I going to get? And I'll tell you, that makes God sick. The the most humble person in the universe is God. God hates pride. He hates it in my life, and He hates it in your life. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and this is what we're taught today. Be assertive. Don't hold back. Let people know. This is what I can't stand about how we... We select our presidents now. You know, the guys that are a little bit quiet and aren't bombastic, they're never going to get elected anymore. It's going to be the guys that are most assertive and and can out-argue people and and, and that kind of thing. Um, It's not a good thing. You read Proverbs and see what it says about pride. they're, They're setting up for a fall. They that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. You know what a benefactor was? It was a title that was conferred upon people that served their country in an outstanding way. So here's the idea. They that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. In other words, they had titles. Not only are they they looking for the position, but they want the title with it. You know... What, what is my title here? What what, are you, what am I going to be called? Oh, good friend, listen, whether it's a ministry or a secular job, be concerned about the task. I mean, the task is is worthy enough of you. Let God, promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, and it doesn't meet you in the north. You ever notice that? Psalm 77, verse 5. That's why some people think that, that heaven is... In the north, some believe it's the north star. I don't know. God God promotes people. God's doing a work in you while you're growing and learning. When, when you, you, some of you aren't, aren't ready for it. Verse 26, but ye shall not be so. Don't take the world's philosophy in your brain. But he that is greatest among you, who are the great people? Let him be as the younger, because young people are to serve older people. He that is chief as he that doth serve. Now this is so reversed now, where and I see this even in the church today. And may I implore you, I say this kindly to you, but you need to teach your children to, to offer their seats to older people when we have fellowships, make sure your kids let older people go first and 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 it's not so older older people aren't going to eat a lot of them. there'll be plenty left over but it's just a mindset it's it's to deference and patience now here's the one i'm getting to verse twenty seven for whether it's greater jesus here's a question. He that sitteth at the meal, at meat, or he that serves. Well, in the world, it's, it's the person that sits at the head table. This guy's just a waiter. They're just waiting tables. Is not he that sitteth at meat. That's what people think. Now, here's the line. Jesus said, I am among you as he that serveth. I mean, that's powerful. Jesus came as a servant. And he just, in that context, he had just taken off his outer garment. And he girded himself with a towel. And he washed their feet because nobody else would do it. And he came to Peter and Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. When I was younger, I thought, well, Peter was humble. Oh, Lord, you, you can't wash my feet because you're the Lord Jesus. And later, I, I got to understand what Peter was saying. He was the number one disciple. It was Jesus is is 1A and Peter is 1B. And here's the idea. Pete was saying, oh, Lord, Lord, we're the leaders. Leaders don't do this. Leaders don't take out the trash. In my opinion, besides character... The best thing I love, and there are many, many things I love about Daniel and Leslie, is their heart to serve. And a willingness to serve. And I want to give them credit. Don't misunderstand when I say this, okay? It's not that I don't want to get credit, I do. But to patiently just serve, you serve, you show up. And that's not easy. But that's a Christ like virtue. So many people quit. They get offended. They get angry. I'm not getting my piece of the pie. Nobody's recognized, nobody cares. Think how the Lord Jesus felt. God's measurement of success and greatness is different than what the world teaches, and the way to impact is different. You, You don't impact people. Because you have a title, a thousand times no. Listen to me. You impact people with your heart. These the sign in the foyer. These little signs. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. You invest in people with your heart, and you have a humble heart. You have a, you have a servant's heart. I, I like George Washington Carver, and he made this statement. I think I put it up here for you. I'm not sure. Here's what he said. How far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, intolerant of the weak and the strong, because someday in your life you will have been all of these. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Now, you know what maturity is? Maturity is you're having these qualities without having to be old. And some of them, they're not really going to be baked real strong. But if you can get ahead of the curve on it and realize that, you know what, I, I can be compassionate. But you have to think. You have to put yourself in their place before you get you get it knocked out of you. Idealism increases in direct proportion to your distance from the problem. I know I quote that a lot. It, it's a biblical idea, but the quote's not in the Bible. Idealism increases in direct proportion to your distance from the problem. How many stupid things have I said and you said to other people or maybe from the pulpit? Well, i tell you one thing. If I had kids, I'll tell you one thing, if I fill in the blank, and then you get there. You know what's sad is you forgot you said that. And can I say this, and and, and I apply it to myself more than you, how stupid we are. And I think it would be good just if we just kind of put the brakes on. And this is maturity. And realize that that old man, that old lady up there driving slow, that's gonna be you one day. <laughs> huh, They shouldn't be driving. That's gonna be you one day. Your wife, your husband's gonna die. And you're gonna to have to go to the store all by yourself and so forth. I got to get I gotta get going. So this series on the law of the harvest, everything you do, good or bad, is sown in your life and in the lives of others as a seed that's going to reap fruit later. And on this side of the equation, as you're going into it, you choose what kind of life and what kind of future you want to have. But just like a farmer, the seed you sow doesn't come overnight. You have to wait for it. And if you don't wait for it, you're going to lose the harvest. But there's, listen, there's a special kind of seed you can sow that will help you in winning people to Christ. A special kind of seed. I want you to look at it with me. Turn, uh, Galatians chapter 6, look at verse... I tell you what, look at, I'm going to skip some verse. Look at verse 9, Galatians 6, 9. The Bible there says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Now, there's some great truths here in verse 9 and verse 10. First of all, the secret to a good harvest is to practice the law of the harvest at every opportunity you get. As we, therefore, have opportunity. I talked to you about that last week or two weeks ago. You, you need to take advantage of opportunities. And, and, and you will, listen, you listen carefully. You will not seize, S-E-I-Z-E, opportunities. You do not see S-E-E. Because you don't have the vision for it. You're so selfish. All you see is your pain. All you see is your stuff. You, and you can't take advantage of opportunities because because you're hurting so bad. I get that. But your kids are hurting, and your friends are hurting, and lost people are hurting, and you're wasting your potential, and you're not going to get any rewards at the judgment seat. You, I remember, and it's certainly true in the NFL, and it's true in high school you've you got to play hurt. It's true in football and other sports. If you don't play hurt, you're not going to play. And it's true in the Christian life you have to play hurt, but it's not physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes your feelings are hurt. Sometimes people talk about you. You have to play hurt. You have to have a biblical framework. The secret to a good harvest is to practice the law of the harvest every opportunity. Number two, serving others gives you a hearing to sow the seed. When you serve people, that earns you a hearing. I had to just give you a story. I, I had a man in my life that was uh, invested in me when I was a teenager. We didn't have a youth pastor until my junior year in high school, the middle of my junior year. And so we had we had one activity a year. And I'm not complaining, it was just a reality. Uh, Mike will remember this, Judy will. At the end of, about this time of year, we all went to the civilian recreation area and we played softball and it was fine. But we did have somebody to work with the kids and so forth and. So that was that was activity and we did that. But we had a man in our church named Gabby Dickerson. Gabby was I'd love for Gabby to teach. Number one, he was funny, but number two, he was he was a good teacher, but he talked about stuff that helped teenagers. You know. Now I want to talk to you kids about Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah rhymes with Mezekiah. Now Hezekiah was the eighteenth king, and amen. No, Gabby talked about dating. Gabby talked about rejection. Gabby talked he talked about this stuff that, well, wow, you say, yeah, man, that's me. What do I do about that? You know, I don't like myself. I got these little things on my face and how and he rooted it in the Bible. Oh, it was so helpful. But you know, it wasn't just his mind, it was his heart. He loved people. He was so real. You say, where'd he go to Bible college? He didn't. He worked for the post office. I don't mean that in demeaning way. He was a layman. But Gabby made a difference in my life. And hey, listen, if a person has great competency, but they're weak in care, only here. Great competency, but weak in compassion and care. Over here, you have average competency. But strong in compassion, 100% of the time, this guy, this girl, this woman, they're going to have more impact. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, they're, and Now, if they have competency with care, they're, they're going to make a, a huge impact. But you give me every time, every time... The person that cares. It doesn't mean you have a big personality. You just learn to care for people one-on-one. I love this statement. People will forget what you said. But people, people will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Now, in a literal sense, sometimes we remember what people said and what people did. But you will remember more what people made you feel. Now, now let me break this down. The speaking has to do with the intellect. The doing has to do with the will. But the feeling has to do with the emotion. Now, that that doesn't doesn't mean you're an extrovert going around all over the place. Here's what it has to do with affection. Affection. Are you an affectionate person? I'm not talking about romance. When you talk to people, do you look at them in the eye? Are you always looking around for somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking for somebody you're really interested in. People, when they talk to you, they need to feel like I was the most important person in the world to them. And it wasn't a sales job. She treats everybody like that. He treats everybody like that because they are. One leader says this: Everybody you meet, you need to put a ten on their forehead. They're the most important person in the world because one day they may be. That's why music is so important. What happens is when people when people hear songs. I, I was telling Paula as we were driving home about songs and and a song came on the radio I said did you listen to some of their music she said yes did you I said I listened to one song and I told her the background of I was 13 years old and we talked about it but I didn't go into all this with her but you remember songs because it touches your soul and it can touch your mind But the music affects your soul. It it makes you feel. And and that's why you remember the words. It takes you back. Oh, this is so important. How do you make people feel? Now, you, you need to say that. And they will remember what you say and what you did in the context of how you make them feel if you're genuine. Last week, I talked to you about this first part, as we have, therefore opportunity to take advantage of the opportunities. And then the second part, and there will be a third part later. As we have therefore, verse 10, opportunity, here it is, let us do good unto all men. So what do you do when you get the opportunity? This is the word of God. I am not a liberal. You know what you do? You do good. You know what the Bible says in Acts 10.38? That Jesus went about doing good. I love that verse. You know why? It says he went about everywhere every he went. He just did good. He, he didn't go and say, I hope they remember that. You see, some people understand trading, but they don't understand giving. It's not tit for tat. It's now, okay, you did this for me. I did this for you. You do this. That's not it. It's about giving. We're not trading. I'm not keeping score. Don't live that way. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good. Look at this. Unto our buddies, unto those that are nice to me unto all men. Oh 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 Rick, you don't want to say but but he no 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 do good unto all men. But he was rude to me. Do good unto all men. But my boss he should have promoted do good unto all men. You see the same idea in verse nine let us not be weary in well doing. Please get my heart. It says, it doesn't say let us not be weary and, and include, you put this in the category. It's not just weary in witnessing or weary in preaching or weary and teaching Sunday school. Those are under there. But in verse nine, it's called well-doing. In verse, verse 10, it, it's doing good. It's sowing the seed of doing good. Serving is not the gospel, but it prepares the way for the gospel. Cultivate, plant, reap, cultivate, plant, reap. And this is what the investing is. It's just doing good. Well my, my spouse and I are having trouble. Do good. My kids don't appreciate me. After all I'm just do good, just do good to them. Well, my church members don't just do good. But th- this person is my enemy. Do good. Just do good. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And when the word bless there is is eulogize. it's the opposite of curse. Just don't tell people their weak points. Just bless them. Serving others gives us a hearing To sow the seed of the gospel. Do good. Do good. Do good. I'm going to tell you next week how to do this. Let me show you one more thing here. When it says to verse 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. The word good there means of wholesome character and it means that whatever is a benefit to another person. Listen, whatever is a benefit to another person. Now, what you want to do if you want to do good is you want to meet needs. If you want to be a great soul winner, if you want to be effective in ministry, I don't mean just in the church, because your job is not just where you earn money, that's your ministry. You have to do good, and you have to be a needs meter. You have to be a benefit to other people. Uh, Can I get you some coffee? Or you know what kind of coffee they like. Hey, I bought you some coffee. coming in, man. Hey, thanks. What's up? He may not say that. I read this week, you don't want to be a, a do-gooder, but you do want to be a good doer. You don't want to be self-righteous. But just be good to people. Love people. Listen. this, This is the key. A key, not the key. It is a key. If you want to fill this room up. And that's not necessarily the mark of a of a healthy church, but it's a result of a healthy church. You got to do good. Listen to what uh, Martin Luther said. He said, Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. And the gospel makes you good, even though you're sinful. God, God has been my benefactor. He keeps doing me good. You know, we, we like that song about God has been faithful. He has been good. But you know, there are certain qualities that God shares with us certain attributes. We're, we can't be omnipotent. We can't be omnipresent. We can't be omniscient. But we can be faithful and we can be good. I've heard theologues and sermons say, well, no man is good. No man is good. Acts eleven twenty four. 24, Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. Now, he was good after he was saved. But you know why he was good? Listen to me. Because the way he lived added value, and added benefit to everybody he was with. Whoever hung around with Barnabas, they were better. And he was just looking for ways. What, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And it's going to be different for other people, for different people. You, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself. You've got to take your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself. And get your eyes on Jesus. The consummate good God. It is said and it's true. When they were translating the Bible. That they were finding a word for God. God. And the Anglo Saxon word for God was good. They couldn't think of a better word for God. And they abbreviated it. Good. God is good. God is good. We went up to see Ashley and Brian and Brighton and Brody and Brooks and Bristol and uh, hugged them and kissed them, and said goodbye. And we were walking away from them, and I had this thought. I didn't even say it to Paul. I just had this thought. Do you know what the word goodbye means? It's an abbreviation. It's an abbreviated form in, in uh, Anglo-Saxon language. It means God be with you. And again, God, good. God be with you. And I thought about that. I wasn't thinking about the sermon. That I was thinking about goodbye. God be with you. Till we meet again. God is good. Now you, you go be good. I'm not talking about being better than other people. Quit keeping score. Add value. Serve. Be be among people that are served. Don't be petty. Don't be easily offended. Just just help people. Don't keep score. Let's do this and we will we'll, we'll be finished. Okay. You know this. Oh man. Okay, let's try this. Sing with me, William. God is so good. Sing it to me. God. Will you sing it one more time? One more time. you have opportunity do good unto all you go to rest